Welcome to the Rock and Roll Survivors Podcast, dedicated to those in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, and somewhere in between. I'm Kristen, and on season one, the legendary rock star Patty Quattro joins us to discuss her time with the band Fanny, the fabulous feedback from the international press, David Bowie's contributions to the fifth and final Fanny album, and so much more. So let's get started. So we've spoken a lot about the rock opera. There's still lots to talk about. You're going to look for a script. You're going to to (laughs) find that cassette and get that converted. But one of the things I would like to talk about now is the songs that you brought to Rock and Roll Survivors. You brought four songs. And we are absolutely going to get into depth with them musically. But I wanted, first of all, Byron Wilkins, who is this podcast's engineer and helped with the intro, which are your songs, along with Rock and Roll Survivors, which is Nikki's. Byron had a really interesting comment, I thought, when he was working on the intro for the podcast, because we open up with your song, Rockin' All Night Long, because I just think the intro is unbelievable. This whole song is unbelievable. But Byron had this comment, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, the intro riff to Ride the Tiger by Jefferson Starship sounds suspiciously like the intro riff for Rockin' All Night Long. And then Byron adds to this, the Starship song came out after the Fanny song. So Paul Kantner probably ripped it off, changing it just (laughs) enough (laughs) to avoid legal issues. So you were telling me, which I found fascinating when I shared this with you, that Rockin' All Night Long, you brought not to Fanny from Cradle. So we, nice. it was even earlier oh, yeah. than Fanny. So talk a little bit about this song and the riff. And do you think Paul Kantner ripped you off? Um, you know, I don't know. We had all kinds of connections with uh, Jefferson Airplane and that group of musicians because my husband handled hot tuna. Yorma would come to our birthday parties for our kids. I mean, you know, and then there's the garage story, which will come in at some point that is terribly amusing with Jack and Yorma when they were in Detroit. And uh, I'm not sure they ripped it. It, it, That song had a lot of legs. We did it for Bud Prager and Leslie West, and they wanted us to record it. They thought it was a great riff. And then all that stuff happened with Felix getting shot and, you know, the sort of the momentum went by the wayside a little bit. There was so much going on, you know, with that. Can you say a little bit about that for people who don't know what the story is? Talk about Felix and. Oh, my God. Felix was amazing. I mean, as a musician, he, he was just amazing. Great guy. Very respectful of what we were doing. All the mountain guys, kids were. I mean, we had a blast with them. And his wife, there was some kind of argument, something going on. I can't remember if she was stoned or what, but she shot him, killed him. And it went to court. And Leslie never, last time I saw Leslie before he passed on, we saw him in later years. He said she got away with it. He couldn't stand it. He never got over the fact that she somehow got away with it in the court case. And it it, it just tore him to shreds. It was horrible. 
Horrible, horrible. He was gone just like that. Boy. Did you know her, the wife? No, I did not know her. Did not know her. But I know they had a very, uh, you know, it was a conf- it, rock and roll marriages. You know, it was one of those. And they had their issues and stuff. And he wasn't exactly Mr. Pure on the road, you know, and all that. So you can just imagine what went on personally, you know. And I think she was stoned. And her story was that she made a mistake. I'd have to pull up the news article because it was all over the news. I'll look it up. I want to. I'm curious about look it. Look it up. Yeah, I will. I absolutely. It, it got press. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It was horrible. 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 That's awful. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back to a happier note, which okay. is your songs. So, when you joined Fanny, and we we touched upon this a little bit in previous episodes, but I really want to untangle this and really show people what your inclusion to Fanny meant at the time. And so in a wonderful article that you sent me written by Michael Gross, and this was written in 1975. So June and Alice have left. Yes. And Jean was quoted in this article as okay. saying, quote, the addition of Patty made the group stronger and more aggressive, close quote. And Patty, you said in this article, we no longer feel that we have to prove ourselves. So rather than going up there and being just a band or even an aggressive band, we feel that we can now be an aggressive female band. We're women and we're proud of it. We don't want to be typed into a certain bag, close quote. The article goes on to write, quote, it is their driving bass lead guitar combination that gives the music the heavy metal edge Fanny always tried for but never quite attained. She goes on to say, quote, in the beginning, it was a gimmick because we didn't play well, close quote. She goes on to say, with Patty, you taking over the lead with guitar duties and Cam Davis's recent replacement of Bree Howard, who in turn replaced Alice DeBure on drums. Fanny then has finally grown up and out of its women's band image. Seeing them live, Michael Gross goes on to say, with Patty stomping across the boards, ripping out her Jeff Beck-inspired lead lines, Cam pounding the drums as hard and steady as any of the bruisers who twirl sticks in real rock bands, he put them <laughs> close, and Jean smiling sexily from beneath her long, dark hair as her fingers skip over the bass fretboard is a thrilling experience. He goes on to write, their voices blend into high harmonies that would send Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young back for refresher courses at the College of Musical Knowledge. The ladies are as funky as any Motown girl group of the 60s, more musical than three quarters of this era's heavy metal kids, and a hell of a lot prettier than Black Sabbath. Close quote. (laughs) My God. The article goes on and my dad's quoted in it. So my dad says, quote, Fanny is a sociological first. The typical, and we talked about your gropies, Patty, but my dad says, the typical 15-year-old rock fan from the Midwest has no image of a band composed of women until he sees them. There's no way he'll get off of that chauvinistic attitude. Chicks, my dad goes on to say, are even more uptight till they see them because they don't want to be embarrassed. Women's bands that aren't good make it rough for those who are. There were just as many Bob Dylans, but only one made it through and became the standard. 
close quote. And the article goes on to say, and I loved this. And just like that golden oldie girl group, Fanny is a bunch of proud women with a lot to be proud of. If your image of women's rock runs to Joni Mitchell, Bonnie Raitt, or Grace Slick, be aware of Fanny. They'll scare the shit out of you. Close <laughs> It was always fun to watch Miles hang open. 
when we would play. You know, it was a particularly fun thing, you know, to be made fun of or, oh, they're novelty or the girls, you know, oh, what do they, they think they can play, whatever, and watch their mouths hang open and then be proud. I mean, everything changed in society once they heard us. It's an interesting twist. It also goes to show how your entrance into the band shifted everything. I mean, I, I, I realize that's maybe an obvious thing to say because you're a different musician. It's, yeah. But the whole dynamic shifted. Musically, it's a very, I want to say de- it is a departure from the first four albums. And yet it's cohesive enough because of Nikki and Jean. But yes. I, it, it pains me now that there was not more music produced by this fifth incarnation of Fanny. Because I think yeah. every cut on that album is fantastic. There is no fluff in that album. A lot of different shades, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's true. To me, my my thought is that when they came in and the, the new one started and after they got over the hump of the herd of it, they f- felt free, a little freer you know, to explore and to move ahead. And me too. I mean, it, it, it was quite a change. And, you know, God, life moves on. How exciting to move into a new arena, you know, and be free to explore different things now. So I think Nikki enjoyed that very much. And talk and a little bit. Too. Jean too, you know. From Absolutely. And away, I- you know, having to find her way without her sister by her side and me too. It was exciting. Yeah. I, I've never heard Jean refer to anything earlier as a gimmick. That was new for me. Yes, I know. A lot said back then. Yep. Oh, yep. And that is what she was feeling at that moment. And, you know, no matter what they say later on in years, you know, you look back in different perceptions, but that's how it was at that moment in time. And she said what she was feeling. So can't take that away. It's right there, you know. And Nikki was saying as well. Same. Same. Absolutely. One of the articles that I found fascinating about your playing and the way you perform on stage, because we've talked a lot about your persona and we've talked about your rock star status, if you will, is an article that was written I believe when we're going to look this up in Detroit, it was when you were in cradle it's 1971, but I think this is such a fantastic description of you because they nailed it. So quote, a showy player ripping a difficult passage out of her machine with a variety of facial contortions, twisting her body around it, attacking it like a lioness, devouring her prey, eyes closed, back arched, swaying side to side, wailing away on her guitar as everyone watches hypnotically. Patty unleashing savage stream rollers of noise and then throwing in a flurry of precise, clear notes to float on top, moving across in a guitar duel, riding her axe, stomping her feet. Patty's legs never seem to end. Her costume seems to be big rags held together by perspiration. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is sexy as AF, but it's also so true. I mean, they just, this person described you so accurately. So as you're blushing, talk a little bit about this review. (laughs) I warned you about the legs. I mean, they always stick it in there. Like no one ever had long legs before, but I am admittedly very tall. I mean, Susie's like 5'2 and I'm 5'10. So it was like Mutt and Jeff. 
Oh. I love when you put your arm on her head. That's oh, so I did it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I even did it. On, we did a Motown review on English TV and I stuck my <laughs> never stopped. Um, yeah, that was pretty much my energy on stage. That's what I did. I, I love to like throw the guitar and catch it and do, you know, some theatrical stuff. And, you know, again, dad's upbringing, you know, give it your all. So that was my forte as far as what I wanted to produce. And I'm glad people enjoyed it, you know, because they did. My kids came to see me when we were inducted in the Hall of Fame thing. And both of them stood there afterwards and said, Mom, is that you? I didn't know you could do that because I was like in my what sixties, and I was still doing it for the induction because oh, we played, we played again, and even the producer of the show said, "I I have never seen such a heartwarming display of our Hall of Fame. These women in their sixties kicking it." This so, is just to clarify. This is the Detroit the, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, Detroit Midwest Hall of Fame. When and we this were in is Cradle. Cradle and Pleasure Seekers both that both. night. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. But yeah, that's the kind of energy that I felt to bring. So well it, it was inside me. Yeah. The word that this person uses it when they say is everyone watches you hypnotically. I said in a previous conversation that we had that I find you mesmerizing. You you look so charismatic. You cannot take your eyes off of you. And and we're, the other musicians on the stage are wonderful. Jeannie is stunning. Nikki is so charismatic too. And Brie, it's just that you, Gaga over you. You you really really <laughs> really really <laughs> special. That's so sweet. Oh, I have, I loved I loved performing. I would lose myself in the music, and it just flowed you know i loved it i would love to point my guitar at people in the audience and play sideways and so, it was just fun you know to get into it heavy well, Susie did the same thing we both did that up front and, and it just and when jean started doing it it brought her forward as a front performer mm -hmm. i'm not good you know i don't like to be on the mic that's Susie's deal she is like a front woman to the nth degree I don't like that. I'd rather have Gene do that, you know, but playing with each other, that was a gas. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more about your sister, Susie Quattro, but because there's so much to get into. Oh my God. But I wanted to finish this conversation with all of the changes and um, there are so many other conversations we'll have, but the changes to Fanny. So, and you've come in and the press and the PR are just yeah. wildly excited about yeah. these changes and really seeing Fanny's shining light just continue to shine here. That's a terrible metaphor, but you know what I mean? So this one article from 1974 that's talking about the, the change in the lineup and how Jean was happy about it and Nikki was happy about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. It goes on to read or close with, quote, after a series of convulsive changes culminating in the departure of their original pianist, Nikki Barkley, in the midst of a British tour, Fanny has emerged as a stronger, funkier amalgam of talent. Now they are taking on the boys, and fans and prophets alike predict that when the smoke clears, Fanny will be at the top of the charts. Close quote. I don't know why that just breaks my heart now, because knowing only together a year 
and knowing how good this album was and the vision that Neil had and the vision that my dad had and the talents that you had, all of you had. It was very heartbreaking. I took it pretty hard. I got into different things in LA with Bree again and different and Addie, which we'll talk Addie. about, you know, lots of stories of what came next. I even worked with uh, Jimi Hendrix's bass player and we were going to do a male female thing. He couldn't get the backing, but a lot of exciting things. But that broke my heart that right on the cusp, you know, Nikki would go do her single thing. And it didn't go anywhere, unfortunately, for her. Mm -hmm. And it just fell apart. Yeah, it, it was heartbreaking because you're that close, you know, the hit record and everything. And you, you even so close, you could see it. It is. Rock oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was right there after all that work. And God, God knows what would have happened with another year. I mean, wow. You know, because to make it that far with two hits and one year is pretty cool. Yeah. And you had the financial and emotional support of a record label that was also rising. Oh, yes. Yes. So it's, it was a tough time. 